Welcome to the Business with Purpose podcast. Welcome to the Business with Purpose podcast. Here's our host, Molly Stewart, our mom. Anyone who has ever started a business knows that entrepreneurship is hard. Starting a business takes courage. It takes conviction. It takes perseverance. It takes grit and tenacity. Entrepreneurship really is so hard, and it's not for the faint of heart. But one of the really interesting things about entrepreneurship is also when the opportunity or maybe the occasion arises where you need to pivot. You need to maybe change something in your business. And goodness knows that in our current time right now, pivoting is what a lot of businesses are finding themselves in a position to do. My guest today is an entrepreneur in and of herself, but she's also really experienced in the area of pivoting your business and has so much wise insight into what it looks like to run a business with purpose. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I am your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an amazing person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only with their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Lauren Peterson, the founder and CEO of Travel Patterns, a travel-inspired social impact brand that envisions a world where every woman understands her unique value, is connected to her own story, and is empowered to boldly pursue her daring life adventure while enabling others to do the same. I had so much fun having Lauren on the show. She was actually the first person that I got to interview while quarantined during COVID. So we kind of talked a little bit about that, but she just had some really wise insights into how businesses can be pivoting and changing during this time. So without further ado, on to my chat with Lauren. Lauren, it has been a long time coming, my friend. I am so happy to have you. Oh, hi, Molly. It's so good to be here. It is so good to have you. I mean, truly, we were joking around before we hit record. Uh, So for the listeners, Lauren and I, I looked back in my emails, Lauren. Okay, so today we are recording this on April 21st. This airs in May. But I looked back in my emails and your first email to me was in June of 2019. This This is a long relationship. I'm loving it. It really is. It really is. And so just the fact that we are finally getting to sit down and and converse is just truly a treat. I'm I've been looking for, I was saying to I was like the enemy clearly does not want us to talk. So <laughs> <laughs> hey, good things take time. Good things take time. Exactly. 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 Well, I like I said, I'm just so thankful to have you here um in the midst of a global pandemic. Uh here we are using technology to to chat so <laughs> yes <laughs> and we are not letting a global pandemic stop our conversation so no definitely not all right so i'm gonna have you do what all my guests do and that's give us the lauren peterson 101 well not all my guests give us the lauren peterson 101 you know what i'm saying uh tell us who you are and how you got to where you are today sure so like you said 
I'm Lauren Peterson. I'm the founder of Travel Patterns, which is a ethically made travel and home accessory brand. At the basic, my company partners with um, weaving cooperatives in different countries to then make products and provide them through a sustainable marketplace, aka the Western world from the different global communities. But my background for myself is I'm an interior designer. That's what I went to college for. That's what my degree is in. And I actually practiced for um, a decade before jumping into travel patterns full-time about a year and a half ago. People don't know this, but I actually worked for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers as an interior designer. Oh, wow. Yep. Very strange. Um, I don't know how far back you want me to go, but basically I feel like my entrepreneurial journey didn't really start till about 2014, but even back in college, I kind of always knew that I would want to own my own company. So even as I'm pursuing like this degree in interior design, like I was really kind of praying through like, okay, God, like I know you want me to be in interior design. I 100% feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm pursuing the career that you want me to pursue. But I knew that he wanted me to do something different and more with it, which is, you know, interesting now looking back, you know, 10 to 12 years later, it seems so clear, but you know, at the time when you're in college, like nothing is clear and you're just taking little steps forward. Um, So I got my degree in interior design, the 2008 economy crashed, which was not great for interior design, as you can imagine. Uh, That's not really a hot commodity um, or an essential career during that time. So me being, you know, a young, like 23, 24-year-old, you're like, oh, nothing affects me. Well, obviously, that was not the case. And I realized very quickly that my career options were much more limited. Um, I was actually living in Chicago at the time, which is where I was practicing design and realized that I was going to have to make a pretty big life decision. So I moved home. I'm from North Alabama, Huntsville, um, for anybody that's familiar with this area. Uh, This is where my mom was. So I moved home in order to continue to pursue career opportunities, which there were none at this time. And I like to say that God literally orchestrated my path because I would have never moved home. That was never on my agenda. I was going to, you know, live overseas or you know, live in a big city, but I feel like he orchestrated me to move home and literally handed me the job with the Corps of Engineers that I did then did for a decade, which I would have never pursued a job with the government, especially in design. I wasn't really pursuing jobs in the South. Um, So like I said, I really felt like God was like, yeah, this is what you're going to do. And here you go. And even though I question and kick and scream a lot uh, in my selfish ways about my own plans for my life. I do, I am able to recognize like the path that he's put before me. And I'm thankful for that, even though I love to control other situations. (laughs) I can relate. (laughs) Yes. So I have now been in Alabama for the last 10 years. And then, like I said, I quit full-time job a year and a half ago. So in the middle of my that 10-year um, career is kind of where I found this love 
I already had this love for global textiles, but my career afforded me this opportunity to really travel a lot around the world. So while I was doing like government, um, actually healthcare products on projects on different military bases around the world, my job was actually um, interior design project manager, but all of my projects were overseas. So it's interesting because people are like, wait, one, you're an interior designer for the army. That's weird. Two, you live in Alabama. Like none of this is really adding up, but um, all of my projects were actually outside of the United States. So I was able to travel a lot and I already had, you know, a lot of experience with um, different global mission trips. So my worldview of different economies and like different um, scales of community was already pretty pretty knowledgeable. But as far as like business and how that could help positively impact different communities was basically non-existent. But I had this incredible love for global textiles and crafts. So when I would travel, like those are kind of the communities I would want to learn about. And um, I studied a lot of different handicrafts. And anytime I would travel, like I would really try to get to the heart of what makes different communities tick. So when I personally traveled, that's kind of what I was like excited and interested about. And I would bring bring just these beautiful handmade products back and people will be like oh this is amazing where did you get that Lauren is that from India and like of course you have all these crazy things and so slowly over time I don't know I just kind of the light bulb went off that like I could have a business that supported these incredible artists and groups that you know I was privileged to be able to interact with and provide a sustainable livelihood through a business partnership and obviously I have no business background <laughs> I only have a, a design background but it's been really really cool to kind of see the two um, married together and obviously my company is fairly new I founded it in 2014 well, I had a, another company actually from 2014 to 2016. And in the infancy of that is when you really learn a lot about business and the direction you want to take it in. So then I rebranded in 2016 to Travel Patterns. That was kind of a mouthful about the company, but, you know, from interior design to global textiles, that's not too much, too much of a stretch, but that's kind of where we're at today. Now, I have to go back a little bit because I'm just really curious, like, how do you become an interior designer for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineer? And like, what does that even look like? What do you do? For, like, I just can't imagine the U.S. Army Corps of Engineer being like, should we, uh, well, how's the feng shui in this room? Like, I don't, like, what does that look like? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well... That's a fantastic question. Okay, first, I have to kind of debunk the stereotype of like interior decorator versus interior designer. I feel like it would be remiss to the, you know, to the career um, by doing that. No, this is helpful. This is very helpful. Yeah. So with interior design, like your focus is really on the health, safety, and well-being of occupants within a space. So we're talking codes and occupancy loads and yes pick out like finishes but really you're looking at solving a challenge of this is what the client needs here's how we make the interior space work to fit all of their needs whereas of course a, a decorator and a designer on the residential side does some of that as well but like when i was in chicago like i worked for a corporate design firm i mean you have to have 
you have to have a license. So like I'm actually a licensed designer in the state of Alabama. You have to work for some certain number of years and you actually take a national qualifying test, just like an architect would do, just like an engineer would do. So there's a lot of parameters around like an interior designer and how you can actually call yourself an interior designer in different states versus somebody who's just able to style or like decorate a space. So I just wanted to like kind of tell the difference of like, like a four-year design degree. Um, I went into design to really look at like ADA and like codes and how to meet like the occupancy loads of a facility. And really the last part of a project of any project is picking out the finishes. If there's any other interior designers out there, they're probably like, yes, we don't really spend that much time on finishes. Like it's all the design and problem solving up front on a project, like drawing AutoCAD plans and getting all the specifications. Um, but to answer your question about how did I work for the Army, literally when I'm saying this job was handed to me, it was. So I had just moved back from Chicago and a good friend of mine who was an undergrad in interior design in the interior design program with me had stayed. Um, I went to Auburn University and she had stayed to do a, a grad program but she had gone to a career fair at Auburn that was for the architecture and design school. And she called me and she was like, Lauren, there is a man here from the Corps of Engineers in Huntsville, Alabama, which is where I was living, who is looking for interior designers just out of school. Um, Here's his number. So again, this is like very early 2009. The economy is taken a turn for the worst. And I emailed, his name is Todd, I emailed him my resume. I had an interview two days later and I got the job. That is completely not normal for getting a government job, I have to say that. But because of the way that they were able to hire me on as like a just out of school hire, I don't know all the exact terms for it because that's not how the case is now for hiring people. But, you know, again, this is like 10 years ago. Yeah. So a friend sent me his number and I sent him my resume and I got a job. It was very bizarre. So I'm saying like, I see God's hand even in things that I didn't have planned for myself because I never would have pursued a job in the government. And, you know, even at the beginning, I was like, this is going to be lame. Like, it's not going to be exciting because you're working on like government projects, but Um, So the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is like the government's architectural engineering firm. It's kind of how I would describe it. So they oversee any and every construction project that the Army does anywhere. Which is a lot. (laughs) Which is a lot. Yeah. So basically, you, I, I think you actually have some military background in your family. Is that correct? Yeah, my mom was in the Army. So you're familiar with every post is a city. So basically you have to have some entity to help oversee all of the construction projects that happen in cities. So it's a lot of work. I mean, I think I managed at the end of my career, I mean, I was managing 150 to 200 projects at a time globally. And that's just army. And that was just medical because by the end of my career, I was just focused on healthcare projects. So the hospitals that were being built for the army, um, any clinics, dental clinics, vet clinics. Um, And we specialized in furniture. So 
I wasn't designing the facility. Basically, we came in after the facility was designed and met with the clients to figure out what were the needs for every single room. And so then when we designed the layout and we designed how much furniture, what furniture they needed, um, what the specifications of the furniture were, and then we would also purchase it, ship it, and install it. So we managed the project from beginning to end just for furniture. But it's really cool because, you know, it's, it's interesting now that I'm not doing that anymore. I see a lot of similarities where you're like, okay, what is the need of the client? And then you, you problem solve to fill the gaps for that. And it's the same in designing, you know, designing a product um, that I'm doing now, which took me a while to kind of see the similarities because I'm like, how does designing a pillow and a bag have anything to do with, you know, what I went to school and in interior design for? But at the end of the day, it's all problem solving. Your problem for your client. And that's business too, just in general, is business is really a series of problem solving. I mean, and we see that right now, like, well, really life is like a series of problem solving. But, you know, especially right now, yeah, you know, with with everything that's going on with the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, you know, you are seeing so many different entities, small businesses, fair trade businesses, ethical businesses, large corporations, uh, you know, restaurants, salons, spas, like everybody is having to pivot. Everybody's having to change. Everybody's having to problem solve. I got an email today actually from a roller skating rink in like near me who obviously they are closed right now and they're like doing you can buy like an at-home kit to like do a glow skate at home. I don't really know how it works. What? That's amazing. Yeah, I don't I don't really know how it works, but I'm just like, man, they are real like everybody is having to pivot and and change and and adapt and problem solve and yeah, I think that's really interesting how like your your background in interior design and working for the the army corps of engineers and all that like how those skills have translated to running travel patterns and starting travel patterns and all that kind of stuff and actually this kind of leads me to a question i wanted to ask because this is something that that i know about you is just is your is kind of your expertise and, and your experience in in pivoting and and like how do you kind of, you know, when you realize like that your business model isn't necessarily working or making the impact that you had hoped for, or maybe a global pandemic hits and what do you do? And you really like, you have to innovate, you have to change. I mean, like kind of going along the lines of, uh, you know, with like the roller skating link rink, a local salon like a hair salon sent out, and I'm on their email list because I guess I've got my hair cut there. <laughs> and uh, they're doing like, you can, if you get your hair colored there, obviously a lot of people are, if they get their hair colored, they're probably needing a touch up and they're sending home, like you can buy a touch up kit. So like they have, I guess, whatever color you use. But like good quality. Yeah. Like good quality color. That's amazing. Yeah, like I guess they have like whatever color you use in their system. So you can call and say, hey, I need a touch-up kit. And they'll like put it together for you and you can drive up and pick it up. So I'm just like, man, these are these salons, all these businesses are, are figuring out ways to pivot. And so obviously I know that this is something that you kind of have experience in and expertise on. So I thought that'd be a, a just kind of share your, your thoughts on that. 
Well, first, I love that you call it expertise because that's a fantastic and very kind way of saying, aka, I have no idea what I'm doing. So you're just kind of like, you know, shooting from the hip as we go along. But thank you. I will try to like mentally keep telling myself, yes, you're an expert in pivoting. Um, But it doesn't feel like that when you're in the middle of it. (laughs) Maybe in 20 years, I'll be able to claim expert. I mean, I'm going to try to claim it. So kind of what I was saying earlier, the 2014 to 2016 season in the career. So I was still working full-time and then trying to figure out what is this thing and can I have a business and what does it look like? Um, But at the time I was just purchasing products from different artisan groups overseas and then reselling, reselling the product. And I felt like that was, you know, they were already making products. So it was a good more sustainable relationship to be able to purchase the products and resell them. But over that, really, it was about a year and a half period of doing that. I quickly realized that it wasn't scalable um, because, you know, you never really knew how much inventory they were have or like what colorways or even what quality and type of products. And so as far as the inventory, it was just kind of hit or miss. And so I started being like, okay, like if this is scalable and if I want to be a true sustainable partnership for, you know, these cooperatives, like something has to change. And so that's when I decided that really we need to be designing our own products, which now that makes sense. But at the time, like this took me a long time to figure out. Hindsight's always really interesting. Then I'm like, wow, why did that take me so long to figure that out? But I guess experience is part of it. So I decided to rebrand the company just kind of to start fresh. And after kind of a year and a half, you know, you had kind of a different vision of where I wanted to go with the company and refocused um, with just one cooperative. I was working with like four or five different groups for that two-year period, but I decided to pare down and really focus on starting from scratch with one cooperative. Um, They're called Pichon. They're uh, in Guatemala and designed new lines completely, um, which I had no experience with. But I was really familiar with the textiles in Guatemala because I had been before and I'd really studied them, kind of new patterns from different regions that really resonated with me. And so (laughs) designed my first collection, you would say, and then traveled down there and really sat down and worked through with the cooperative, like how we would bring the products into the marketplace. And it's interesting. God, your question is so good. It's already making me like think of other things, of other ways I've pivoted that I didn't even recognize were a pivot. So pivot with the company and rebranded. And then even with the first set of products that, you know, we rolled out, they were very small travel accessories because I felt like travel accessories were pretty easy to create the finished product to manufacture. They were small in scale, lightweight, maybe an easier commitment for people than something like a home goods line, which is really where I wanted to go eventually, especially with my background in design. But I wanted to start small to see what the capabilities are with the different with our partner in Guatemala. And so we launched with a small, like a small product line of, you know, pouches and little zip bags. We have some little laundry bags that I'm like personally obsessed with. And that's how we launched. But even then, so that was 2016 to 2017. 2017 to 2018, my husband actually, my husband and I started financially planning for me to quit my full-time job, which is a whole nother 
life story and journey in of itself. But during that time, you know, it was really looking at adding new partnerships and looking toward the future of what the next product lines are going to be. So now I'm in the middle of actually launching a home goods line and the coronavirus hits, which is, you know, just the world throwing another curveball at you. This has been such an interesting season for me because, you know, many of the, you know, more of the impoverished communities and like the cooperatives that a lot of like ethically made companies are partnered with, like they're so used to adversity, not that like, and safety obviously is different with the coronavirus, but on a basic level of like having to really work through a crisis, like many of these cooperatives have, they live this every single day. They've been built on crisis and trying to overcome these situations. So for me, I'm actually looking more to my cooperatives to say, hey, what are good ways to move forward? Like, how can we problem solve and meet these challenges? Like I had, um, So one of my new partnerships is with um, a company called Rags to Riches out of Manila in the Philippines, which by the way, you should talk to Reese, the founder of that. She's incredible. You would love her. But Reese and I have really been talking because our inventory was supposed to be shipped at the beginning of April for my brand new, you know, the brand new collection for travel patterns. And they obviously weren't able to finish because the Philippines went on to lockdown about three weeks before the U.S. even did which means that the workshop where they create all the, the finished products couldn't obviously had to close down. But one of the things that's really amazing about, you know, smaller handmade products is most of the like raw materials of like the parts and pieces of products are actually made in um, people's homes in the individual's homes. Same with it in Guatemala, like all of our like brocaded panels are crafted in the women's homes and then they're taken to a workshop where they're put together into the finished product. So the issue is not in getting the raw materials or even the parts and pieces of the product. The issue is in finishing the the product to send it here. And so one of the things we've been kind of talking about is, okay, what can we make that doesn't require, you know, the larger equipment, like the bigger sewing machines that are available at the workshop? Like what are the things that can be hand stitched together? And so I was already planning on having a home goods line come out this year, which is going to be delayed. But one of the things we're really looking at is pillows in general are just a simpler product to make than like a travel bag that has, you know, the seaming and the zippers and the handles and all of the construction involved with that. And so we're already, you know, brainstorming and coming up with a whole new line that can be easier to make, but really leaning on them to tell me, what can you do? What are we able to do to like continue working has been just a really, really amazing thing to see working with the different communities like what are the challenges that you're having again health and safety are so important but when we're talking about trying to continue to employ you know communities that were vulnerable before i mean add a coronavirus sure like that just adds to the vulnerability but these communities were already vulnerable before and it's just been really really cool to see how the groups that I'm partnered with have responded like they're so full of hope like they're so creative in ways to like keep their people motivated during this time I think that's been one of my like greatest excitements as like a partner with them is kind of to see how they I don't know if I actually answered your question 
Oh, absolutely. No, you absolutely did. I kind of went off on a tangent. No, no, no. I think it's, I think it's such an important conversation to have. And um, actually, you know, for the listeners, if they go back and listen to episode 190, which I just did a couple of weeks ago, this is the exact conversation that a a lot of the ethical brands that I'm talking with are having right now. And, and a lot of my friends and I are talking about, and that's how, you know, for so many of these businesses, for so many of these brands, like they're all facing similar challenges, but often different challenges, depending on where they are working in the U S or not in the U S um, well, could be in the U S or even, you know, overseas. And some countries have stricter, you know, lockdown uh, policies. Some are a little bit more loose. Um, I I interviewed somebody who is working in East Asia, and she was talking about how for them, you know, because they're in East Asia, like they got locked down and couldn't get any raw materials. So they had the labor, they could work, but they couldn't get the raw materials. Yep. <laughs> yep. And then, and then things started to ease up for them. And then all of a sudden the U S shuts down. And so it just, it, you know, they're having to pivot and change and, you know, and then like you said, you know, when a vulnerable population is already vulnerable and then you throw in something like this, like the coronavirus, it can be devastating. It can be absolutely devastating. And it's just, we have to keep that in mind. And, um, and so I shared in that episode a couple weeks ago, just like, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, I, I realize that like finances are tough for everybody right now, but like, there's a lot of free ways you can support these businesses just by, following them on social media, sharing their content, commenting, liking, you know, recommending them when somebody posts on Facebook, like, Hey, I'm looking for, you know, X, Y, and Z product. And instead of like saying, Oh, I got mine at Target saying like, Hey, is there a small business or a recommend, you know, a a ethical brand that I can recommend? Or, you know, if you do need to buy something, you know, take a moment and think like, Hey, I wonder if there is a small business that I can buy this from right now. And how now is the time to be supporting these businesses, not waiting until all of this is over. I realize that that's not, you know, financially feasible for everybody, but for the people that, you know, haven't necessarily been impacted financially, how can you kind of use your resources to bless others and bless these businesses and, yeah. So, I, I mean, no, I think, I think what you said is all really, really important and, and something that I think more people need to be thinking about. And, and it's, um, it's just encouraging. It's encouraging to hear like your perspective on it. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because I felt like, I guess it was mid-March is really when it kind of ramped up here where I am. I don't know the rest of the States, but, and it took me one, you know, it's like this shock of like, wait, was happening. Wait, whoa, this is really, really serious. And obviously, you know, the seriousness of it, but like when it immediately starts to impact you, you don't know how, you don't know how it's going to impact you. And so it took me, it took me a couple of weeks. Like I felt like I was really slow to respond, but like for me, it took those two, two to two and a half weeks, I guess, to really understand what are the impacts. And I felt a little bit behind. I had to do some soul searching because, you know, I saw all these businesses like immediately like coming up with solutions and saying all these ways that you could like help and support them. And I was like, it took me some time to be like, how is this going to impact us? You know, then trying to really had conversations with my global partners to be like, how are you affected? What's happening? What are your options? You know, that took, that took a lot of time. 
So I felt a little bit behind in like my response to how it was going to affect the business because it just took me a little bit to really understand on a broad scale, like how all of our partners are being affected to how we can move forward. Like, especially like with my Filipino partner, like we had a whole thing of inventory coming in that we were launching this month that's not happening now. And, you know, really trying to work with them to be like, okay, well, what, what are options? What are the creative options? Like, didn't feel like I was able to like come forward really quickly with that, which was as a business owner was really hard, especially when I saw so many businesses that were like coming out with things pretty quickly. I felt a little bit behind the gun uh, on that, but of course then like trying to give myself grace uh, in the season and then really working closely with my partners was the most important thing that, you know, I felt like I could do within the first couple of weeks so that we could have a good plan moving forward like no matter how long this takes like I feel like we have a really good plan even if like okay our new collection doesn't launch on time well that's just business you know nothing ever happens on time I maybe I don't know maybe for other people it does I feel like everything takes four times as long as you expect to. no nothing happens on time even podcast interviews <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yes. Yeah. Good things take time. And so I've kind of like every single day, I really do try to remind myself of that, that like one, God is not surprised by the situation. Like I'm completely blindsided and, you know, freak out about how it's going to negatively impact, you know, the business and therefore really negative impact our partners. But I just remind myself that God is not surprised and things take time. And if we don't launch the collection for a little bit longer, like, well, that's just the plan now. Like that, that is the plan. And every day just really asking what is the most important thing for me to do today? Partners for my business, for my family, like personally, um, and really just taking a step back and trying to do things slower like our podcast interview. And then it's like, it's okay. Like, it's okay. Like, it doesn't mean that things aren't going to happen. It doesn't mean that you can't grow or have, you know, a successful launch. It's just going to be at a different time and that's okay. And trying to learn through that mentally. I don't know. It's just a really growing experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. I could not agree more. I'm going to take a quick break from my conversation with Lauren to share with you that the brand new summer 2020 capsule collection from Seiko Designs has launched and it is selling out fast, friends. This collection is just the perfect expression of reclaiming our vision at Seiko Designs. The minimalist floral design hide and seek, which is my favorite, is a celebration of the hidden gems in our midst every day. We've reimagined and elevated the classic Ugandan paper bee jewelry to add delicate and unique flair to your summer wardrobe. Our tiger lily pieces are inspired by the boldness of their namesake, and each of our bags are as eco-friendly as they are beautiful. As you continue about your days, we hope this collection reminds you to look for the miracles and to be fearlessly, boldly, and unapologetically you. Now to shop this incredible collection, you can go to seikodesigns.com forward slash Molly Stillman. That's S-S-E-K-O designs.com forward slash Molly Stillman. Now back to my conversation with Lauren. 
Okay, well, before before we transition to our get to know you round, Lauren, for people that maybe are not familiar with travel patterns, they want to see the work you do, tell them like how they can can get in touch with you, how they can shop travel patterns, all that. Like what sort of products should they be searching for right now that you have in stock, all those kinds of things? Yes, great question, because I don't have much. Um, so... On Instagram, it's at shop travel patterns. And then same for our website, it's www.shoptravelpatterns.com. And there's a couple of things that are happening on our website right now is I have limited stock available from our Guatemala partnership and pretty much anything that we can sell, I'm donating 50% of the profits to get vital food and supplies into the communities. So what's happening with my Guatemala partnership is the villages where the weavers are are very, very remote communities. Um, They don't have They don't have personal transportation. They use public transportation to get everywhere, but that is currently locked down in Guatemala. And so the cooperative is having to truck food and supplies into the communities because they cannot go anywhere. And so any 50% profit of all of the sales of our current Guatemala is being donated to the cooperative down there, which I'm really, really excited about because the most important thing right now is for food and supplies to get there. And then our Filipino products are available for pre-order, which this is a whole new thing for me as well because I've never pre-ordered anything. But basically, we're planning that mid-May or end of May, the products will ship because they were almost completed. So we're doing discounted pricing on any pre-orders our new collection that's coming out. And we have weekenders, tote bags, clutches in that collection. And then our first two pillows because I was going to launch a whole home goods collection, but we're just doing two pillows right now. That's what we're doing. And they're beautiful. I'm really excited. I've been having them on my bed every single day. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, I use all of the things in my own house because it's really fun and they're beautiful and they should be somewhere. As you should. Yeah. So you can pre-order at a discounted price. um, And obviously those funds are going back to the Filipino partnership to keep funds going in this time. Um, And yeah, that's it. So really Instagram, Instagram and website, that's kind of where I hang out. That's about the bandwidth that I have running everything myself. Hey, I get it. I totally get it. Okay. That is perfect. All right, Lauren, this is now one of my favorite parts of the show. And that's where we just transition a little bit to get to know you and ask some fun lighthearted get to know you questions. So nervous. Are you? Don't be nervous. I won't bite. (laughs) I won't bite. Promise. Um, All right. So question number one. Um, This is one I'm just kind of temporarily adding um, during this time because I want to ask my guests this. And what are you learning about yourself during COVID-19? Oh gosh, so so many things that I'm learning about myself. Well, I already knew that I'm extroverted and I get a lot of my energy from being out and about and interacting with people. So yeah, during a self-quarantine pandemic, that's really hard for my personality. So finding ways to interact um, with people 
either obviously via Zoom, that's taken off, checking in with my friends. We've actually been having virtual game nights, which feels like you're having a party with your friend. That's been really, really, really helpful just to feel like you're doing activities with people and then getting out of the house. I, I, I love our home. Like it is a safe place, but I have to leave it. So getting out, my husband and I have been trying to do um, hikes, big hikes every weekend just to kind of get out and feel like you went somewhere. So yeah, my, my personality does not do well in quarantine, but learning to be still is something I'm definitely learning. Love it. All right. Question number two, what part of a kid's movie completely scarred you? <laughs> oh, okay. In Little Mermaid, when Ursula becomes enormous and like, you know, when the, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. She becomes huge. She has a scary crown and it's like stabbing people. And like Ariel is like down in this like whirlpool at the, at the bottom of this like pit. I don't know. That was really terrifying. I love the little mermaid, but now I look back on that was really scary so violent and dark yeah oh oh the 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 like you know when she like turned mermaids into those like creepy little i don't even know what they were like oh you get the shriveled up little worm things yeah like worm they yeah like what were they they weren't because they weren't like eels i have no idea like seaweed i don't know they were like I don't know. Super weird. Yeah, that 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 always creeped me out for sure. No, yeah, yeah, you're not alone. Yeah, she's real creepy, and she's just kind of gross too. You know, if you like really think about her, I don't know. She's like uh, Jabba the Hutt meets Octopus or Cruella Deville. Job Jabba the Hutt and Cruella Deville is Ursula. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> that is wow. That is good. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh my gosh, I love it. Okay. What would you do differently if you knew that no one was judging you? <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, okay, so this is a very hard question. So I'm an Enneagram three. So I definitely uh, have struggles with other people's approval. What would I do? I think I would show up a lot more on social media. I think. I'm not as vulnerable as I should be. I think that's something that I'm trying to learn to do is get over myself and be more vulnerable, even about like the business journey. I think um, I am very much in the day-to-day minutia of just running a business and I forget to vulnerably like show up just as a regular person. And I, I don't know if that stems from fear of man or fear of being judged or fear of not saying the right thing or not showing up. But I don't know. I think I would show up more. It's something I'm actually challenging myself right now is to show up more. That's really good. I like that. And I think that that's a, um, for people that, you know, that are an Enneagram 3. I'm an Enneagram 2 with a three wing. So I like, I get that. I get that. Like, I very much relate to that in a lot of ways. So I think that's good. Um, All right. So Lauren, my last question, and uh, I just have to say, because, you know, we're going with it right now. Um, So Amos, my son just came in and he's currently sitting on my lap. So Amos, do you want to say hi to the listeners of my podcast? (laughs) 
Can you just say, can you say hi, everybody? Hi. Oh, thank you. So Amos gets to join us for the last few minutes. You know, this is just the, you, the listeners of the podcast really are getting a special treat today. Right, buddy? Yeah. He, he, they can't hear you. Can you say, yeah? Yes. You, you could just say, can you introduce yourself? Say who you are. Amos. Your name is Amos. What's your, what's your name? What's your name? <laughs> what did you say? What's your name? Mm-hmm. You say, my name is Amos. My name is Amos. And how old are you? Four. You're four years old? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Well, Amos, let's ask uh, Miss Lauren the last question, and that is, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? Mm. Oh, no. I'm not asking you, buddy. I'm asking Miss Lauren. <laughs> okay. So what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? I'm sorry, Lauren. <laughs> No, this is, this is fantastic. I love it. I love it. I really wanted to ask Amos to describe what you're wearing on your head right now because you neglected to mention your outfit to your, to your listeners. Oh, that's true. Hey, Amos, do you want to tell everybody what does mommy have on her head right now? What do I have on my head? What am I wearing? Um, what are these called? I didn't know. You don't know what they're called? Is mommy wearing Mickey ears? Yes. Yes, because what are we doing at home? We're having an at-home what? Disney cruise. We're going on a Disney cruise here at home. We've turned our whole house into a Disney cruise. <laughs> That's amazing. So mommy took a break from her Disney cruise to, to interview Miss Lauren. <laughs> yes. I appreciate that, by the way. Thank you so much. Of course. Of course. Okay, so running a business with purpose definitely for me, it's doing something that benefits other people. Like I 100% believe in using your gifts and talents to create and put something out into the world. I, We are all a reflection of God in our different gifts and abilities, just different, different mirrors of this amazing um, creator that we have. And so for me, like running a business with purpose is using my gifts to one, support and uplift others and to put something beautiful out into the world. That is beautiful. I love that, Lauren. Lauren, this was such a blast to have you on the show after all this time. It was so worth it. And um, just thank you for the work that you're doing and for how you're pivoting and how you are adapting and changing and how you're encouraging other entrepreneurs and consumers alike. Um, in this time. And so thanks so much again for for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Molly. I'd love to know what you loved about this episode or tell me something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first-time listener, welcome. Be sure to check out the archives for past shows featuring so many amazing entrepreneurs who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you are one of my regulars, thank you for your support. Don't forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to click that subscribe button to make sure that you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This show is produced by Third Wheel Media. Thanks so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose.
Now go do something good with purpose on purpose.